Tuberculosis is generally uncommon in children and adolescents in Canada, but among some specific populations, we still find high rates of the disease. TB mimics many conditions, and a high index of suspicion is required to ensure timely diagnosis. I'm Dr. Kirsten Patrick, Deputy Editor for CMAJ, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Ian Kitai, Tuberculosis Specialist with the Hospital for Sick Children and Associate Professor in the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Toronto School of Medicine. Dr. Kitsai co-authored a review article on the diagnosis and management of tuberculosis in children. I reached Dr. Kitsai in Toronto. Hello, Dr. Kitsai. Hello. It's a pleasure to be on this call. Thanks for joining us today. So tell us first, how common is TB in Canada? So overall, Canada is a low-burden TB country. We have around four and a half cases per 100,000 population. This, however, um, doesn't describe the situation well because there's tremendous regional variation. So there are some much higher risk populations. Uh, in Nunavut, the rates are greater than 200 per 100,000. These are rates higher than those in Afghanistan today. And the rates in foreign-born Canadians and First Nations Canadians are also uh, very high. Dr. Kitsai, you've talked about these specific population groups that are more likely to acquire TB. Why are they more at risk than others? So uh, one thing is TB is, uh, as William Osler said, uh, uh, a social disease with a medical aspect. And there are social determinants of health, including poverty and uh, overcrowding that definitely underlie the problems, especially in Aboriginal communities here. Um, however, there's a lot of TB in the world, and our strength and vitality comes from uh, new Canadians. And so part of the problem is, is the problem of TB in the world. People come in latently infected and may develop TB. Um, one thing I would uh, also add is with respect to children, Although much TB outside of Aboriginal populations is in foreign-born individuals, in children TB occurs in the Canadian-born children of foreign-born individuals. Those children often acquire TB within the extended family within Canada or by visiting friends and relatives abroad from time to time. What are some of the common signs and symptoms of TB, recognizing that they may be different for young children versus adolescents? So um, I'd start with the adolescents because most clinicians think of TB as a disease presenting with cough and hemoptysis and perhaps night sweats and fever and weight loss. And that's more true of adolescents. Uh, they often have pulmonary disease. They often do have cough and hemoptysis. Although uh, in Canada, up to 50% of adolescents may have extra pulmonary or extra thoracic disease. And TB is very protein. It can present with what looks like a bone tumor or a, or a brain tumor or with uh, ileal involvement suggesting Crohn's disease. So, so the presentation in adolescence is also quite protein, but certainly cough and hemoptysis would be high on the list um, there. Um, the, um, the, the problem with young children uh, is very different. And we see two groups of young children. The first group we really like to see is the young child identified through contact tracing. An adult or adolescent uh, has been found to have TB. The contact is uh, 
ultrasounds and x-rays taken, and that x-ray is abnormal and consistent with TB. These children are often asymptomatic, and uh, treating them is very gratifying because we can prevent them getting serious or advanced disease. The real and sometimes more tragic problem of young children is that they have very high rates of uh, disseminated TB. This is especially if they're younger than four, including TB meningitis. And their presentation may be very nonspecific. It could be a bit of lethargy, perhaps some prolonged fever, some behavior change. And by the time the diagnosis of TB meningitis is made, the child is often damaged and will not recover without sequelae. Um, uh, and, and this is a, a constant uh, diagnostic dilemma worth preventing because clinical judgment is poor at recognizing it early. What are some other presentations of childhood TB? You've mentioned TB meningitis and something that looks like a bone tumor. Anything else we should draw attention to? So I'd say TB can turn up in any, any organ system in the body. The commonest uh, areas outside of the lungs that we find TB is in lymph nodes, usually peripheral lymph nodes in the neck or elsewhere. Um, and it's worth remembering that uh, if someone's doing a lymph node biopsy, especially in someone uh, from uh, who's at uh, risk for TB, because some of that biopsy material should be sent for TB culture, which means no preservative, just as is. Um, otherwise, we'll miss the diagnosis. Um, we've seen TB, as I said, present um, with skin involvement. We have TB presenting simply as hydrocephalus. That's one of the ways mm -hmm. TB meningitis may uh, present in children. Um, Miliary TB is a disseminated form in which uh, there's TB throughout the body. Uh, it's uh, often life-threatening. It's often found in children under six months of age. So that brings us very nicely to the diagnosis of TB. Briefly tell us what the current approach to diagnosing TB is. What are the challenges that can arise? So um, between 9 and 14% of TB isolates in Canada are resistant to any one drug uh, that we may choose for TB. And so it becomes really important to make a microbiological diagnosis wherever possible. So the best diagnosis is when we grow TB um, from sputum or from gastric aspirates or from a biopsy. Um, in adolescence, uh, that's easier. The adolescent can produce sputum or uh, much preferred, we can get induced sputum out of them, which has a much higher yield on culture and on sensitivity. Um, Let's just uh, the, remind us there, what is induced sputum? So sputum induction is a process of trying to get material from deep in the lungs. Um, and in this process, the child or adolescent is given um, hypertonic saline by nebulization. This induces a deep cough. I should add that preparing the individual is really important in this technique because the individual has to be really told to sort of cough up deep, deep material. And if they're cooperative, uh, the yields are much higher. Um, but this, uh, when compared with expectorated sputa, uh, has much higher yields on culture. So following the saline that the child or adolescent has to really cough uh, very hard and long and uh, place the sputum in the sputum jar. Um, in fact, it's been shown that induced sputa uh, done right 
are as good or better than bronchoalveolar lavage, and they produce much less risk to the patient and to the people around. So the, the, the next issue is when there's uh, organ system involvement with something that could be TB. As I've said, uh, it would be um, important that material be sent for TB culture. Um, there's all, there is also molecular testing, PCRs, and other tests that can be done on the material to try and confirm the diagnosis. Our bigger problem is in the young child uh, because pediatric TBs are often porcy bacillary. There are few bacilli, they're difficult to grow, um, uh, and the child cannot expectorate in the way an adult or adolescent can. So for intrathoracic disease, uh, we often in small children do um, gastric aspirates. If there is TB in the lung parenchyma of the child, the cilia will beat some of the material up, it will be swallowed into the stomach, and by placing a nasogastric tube uh, into the stomach first thing in the morning and washing it out with uh, sterile water that has no preservative, we can uh, frequently, perhaps 40% of the time in relation to what we think is TB, grow the bacteria. Um, there's a, another technique which has actually been used in Nunavut where uh, nebulized saline is given to very young children and then they have nasopharyngeal suctioning just as they are coughing and that also has high yields. However, despite our very best efforts, we often in a child who we're pretty sure has TB can't grow the organism. The usual constellation we see in Canada is a child with uh, a known contact with an infectious adult uh, who has immunologic evidence of TB by way of a positive tuberculin skin test or perhaps a positive interferon gamma release assay um, and who has characteristic changes such as hyalur lymphadenopathy on the chest x-ray. And in that case, we would make a clinical diagnosis of TB and use the index cases source sensitivities to guide the management of the child. When you talk about index cases, you will be getting a sample and growing the bacteria from an index case and treating according to that result. Is that right? Exactly. Um, and so this, this brings in the fact that a lot of good TB management relies on an excellent public health infrastructure. Um, and one of our great advantages here is we have good public health uh, uh, personnel that quickly identify infectious source cases. For instance, a mother who has young children. The index case having been identified will uh, have diagnostic tests already available, which include the sensitivities of his or her sputum. And we would use those sensitivities to guide our management of the young child. So as well as good public health infrastructure, it looks like good detective work is important and um, inferring the diagnosis with astute clinical expertise. What are the general principles of treating TB in children? Tuberculosis disease implies that there is some organ involvement in the child, and this is different from latent infection, which we may discuss later. Um, in general, any population of TB bacilli will be inherently resistant to any drug that has so far been developed um, at a certain level. So there the, the may be a few bacilli resistant to any given agent, and most will be sensitive in most situations. Nonetheless, if we use only a single agent for treating TB disease, 
we run high risks of producing resistance to the agent we use. And so TB, in terms of drug therapy, requires multiple drugs to treat disease. Um, but before we get right into drugs, it's very important to say that the treatment of TB disease is best achieved by a team. That team would include public health personnel who would help with a directly observed therapy for disease, who would help monitor disease. And it should, in this low burden setting, include those who have considerable experience in managing pediatric TB. There are data that survival, certainly of adults in TB, uh, correlates well with the experience of your treating clinician. Uh, the drugs that we use um, uh, are usually a standard uh, six-month regimen for young children with fully sensitive disease. That includes isoniazid and rifampin and pyrazinamide for the first two months. And, and that treatment is very good if properly done and properly observed. Uh, however, there's more and more drug-resistant TB. Uh, there are nuances in how one manages TB. And most importantly for young children is um, actually getting the medication into them because uh, they're often resistant to taking the medications. Um, and these are some of the important details that, that are really best managed by an experienced team. If you don't have the team available to you, certainly I would be consulting people who have that kind of experience. Um, for older children and adolescents with multibacillary disease, it becomes very important that uh, they are properly managed, they are, that we look out for toxicities and manage them early, and that we ensure that they have a complete course of therapy to prevent relapse. There are, in terms of treating TB disease, many other social and other implications. The Adolescent who develops TB while at school faces a number of other challenges in terms of what their peers think of them in terms of return to school. And we have found social work support uh, very vital in managing these, these children and adolescents. So it's certainly not straightforward, which makes sense why you recommend a good multidisciplinary team. What about latent TB, treating latent TB? Latent TB is a very important area, and if we are trying to move to TB elimination by 2050, which is a WHO and a stated Canadian goal, then we will need to tackle the problem of latent TB infection. Just to remind ourselves, latent TB infection means um, that there's immunologic evidence of TB by way of a positive skin test or a positive interferon gamma release assay, uh, but no evidence of disease uh, on x-ray, on a physical examination, and the individual is, an, is asymptomatic. Overall, around 10% of latently infected individuals may go on to develop TB disease, and so they represent the pool um, that treatment would prevent from that progression. Um, if you are young, uh, the uh, risks of activating are much higher. If you're under one uh, to move from latent TB to TB disease occurs in 50% of individuals. And there are many other recognized factors that, that increase your risks of moving from infection to disease, uh, including immunosuppression, renal failure, anti-TNF-alpha and other biologic agents, diabetes mellitus. Uh, generally, in terms of treatment, the first thing is identify the highest 
risk latent to the infected individuals. Of these close contacts of infectious adults are, are high on the list, but then there are the others who are at risk for progression and those who have come or, or uh, originate from high burden settings. The treatment um, really has been for a long, long time, nine months of isoniazid. This is a cumbersome regime, but has been proven in longitudinal studies to really reduce the risks of activating TB by 80% or better. Um, there are some problems with this. There is the rare occurrence of isoniazotoxicity. And if clinicians are planning to use this, it's really important that the patients are well aware of the risks, which are very small, and of what to do to prevent toxicity, uh, which includes stopping medication if a, a small number of symptoms such as vomiting occur. Um, there are newer regimens that may well uh, hold the promise of much shorter treatment for latent infection, which will be much more acceptable to patients. One of these may be four months of rifampin. Uh, the trial uh, should be published by next year um, of that regime. And, and in the United States now, there is a regimen of isoniazid and rifapentine. Um, and this is a, a rifapentine is a long-acting rifamycin. Um, in fact, 12 doses given once a week by observed therapy should be as good as nine months of isoniazid. And this really does hold the promise uh, of um, making treatments uh, much easier for individuals who are infected. Seems like a game changer if you don't have to take the treatment every day. It really could be and should be. Um, unfortunately, rifapentine is not yet licensed in Canada, although it has been or is now being used uh, under clinical trial conditions in Nunavut and Gonzalo Alvarez in Ottawa is uh, spearheading uh, that initiative. Um, and, and I think uh, it is something that really would be important uh, as we move forward to try and eliminate uh, TB in Canada. Well, that's very encouraging that we're making great strides in um, and promising strides in treating TB. It used to be a kind of a neglected disease, didn't it? Yes. I don't want to give the impression that it still doesn't need more resources. We are not on track for TB elimination by 2050. And, and the curves, in fact, the rates of TB in the last year may have gone up slightly from 4.4 to 4.6 per 100,000. Part of the difficulty is uh, whenever rates get low, as happened in New York in the 1980s, um, there's a tendency for public health infrastructure to get dismantled. Uh, uh, New York did that and was uh, then faced with a huge resurgence of TB that was multidrug resistant uh, and uh, often fatal and uh, and the federal government uh, of the United States had to pump about a billion dollars to undo it all. So I think there still is a lot more work to be done, especially in the vulnerable populations, uh, such as Aboriginal communities. That's a good cautionary tale. How could we do better to prevent TB infection in the first place in children in Canada? So I think that's an excellent question. There's a hierarchy of things we could do. Um, the first is to identify infectious adults and adolescents early. And so um, failure to send sputum is often um, a big problem, which leads to delays in diagnosis. And then uh, finding them early, treating them properly, isolating them early until they're not infectious means there's less potential for them to spread and see the generation of latently infected individuals. Um, 
one point that I uh, should bring up is that one common pitfall that leads to delayed diagnosis of TB is relying on the tuberculin skin test to indicate whether an individual has TB. Uh, up to 20% of individuals with tuberculosis disease may have negative tuberculin skin tests or interferon gamma release assays. I think the next way of preventing it is to maintain and perhaps enhance public health infrastructure uh, in looking out for the contacts of infectious source cases so that none of them are missed and also in encouraging those contacts to uh, receive uh, appropriate treatment for latent infection if they are in fact found to be infectious. A third thing would be to screen populations at higher risk for being latently infected for, for this. Um, that's a more difficult uh, issue. Many expert guidelines r recommend screening immigrants from higher burden countries, and I think this makes a lot of sense. We need to also be uh, uh, looking at our high burden populations, such as uh, uh, Inuits and First Nations Canadians. But the treatment of latent infection should not, for the moment, be something done with public health zeal, I think. People need to know that treatment is for their own good. They need to know the risks and benefits and be partners in that therapy. The, the final um, and I think important way of uh, preventing TB in Canada is to help the fight against TB in the world. The rates of TB are in very slow decline uh, across the world and recently the numbers were revised upwards as better data have come from countries such as India. We've gone from 9.6 billion people in 2014 as an estimate of the people infected in the uh, world uh, to now 10.8 billion people. So uh, the, because we are a, a country of, of immigrants, it, it does behoove us to, to be involved financially and in other ways in the international struggle against TB. That's a very good point, our global consciousness there. If you could summarize one key take-home message for physicians who are listening to this podcast, what would that be? I think the, important, the most important thing is to think about TB. Think about TB, especially in at-risk populations such as Aboriginal Canadians and especially the foreign-born. And if there are unusual symptoms or um, common symptoms such as cough and, uh, uh, and productive cough, think TB, send samples, get opinions if you need to, but don't forget about it. It hasn't gone. Thank you, Dr. Kitai. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Dr. Ian Kitai, tuberculosis specialist with the Hospital for Sick Children and Associate Professor of Pediatrics with the University of Toronto School of Medicine. To read the review article he co-authored, visit cmaj.ca.